an oxymoron, is a two-phrase or two-word phrase containing contradictory elements. Here are some of them. Jumbo shrimp. Tastes good, but it's kind of strange to have a jumbo shrimp. Military intelligence. A numb feeling. Have you ever said that yourself? I'm feeling numb. How can you feel numb? Plastic glasses. In fact, I saw an advertisement for plastic glasses on sale. I thought that was strange. Uh, an exact estimate. That's something you often get when you are contracting someone to work on your home. An exact estimate. A working vacation. Negative growth. If you work here, I apologize. The postal service. Although it's really good in Ray, I must say. In Denver, we could complain quite regularly. Uh, clearly misunderstood. Sometimes the pastor feels that. He's clearly misunderstood. Congressional leadership. For you golfers out there, metal woods. Although they've helped my drive immensely. An unbiased opinion. And the last one, oddly appropriate. My children act oddly appropriate sometimes. Or something like that. I'm not sure what that one's getting at. But we all know and like to laugh at oxymorons. I came across another this past week. It was the undiscipled disciple. It's an oxymoron. It has contradicting elements in it. It's impossible. It's impossible to be an undiscipled disciple. But yet, Dallas Willard, a, a, a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California and a religious scholar, says that our churches in America today are filled with undiscipled disciples. He says that it's so bad in America that it is epidemic. Our churches are full of people who don't follow Christ. It's interesting because when we think about church and when we talk about religion with people, we talk about, are you a Christian? And what we mean by that is, do you follow Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? It's interesting because the word Christian is only used in the Bible three times. Only three times. And yet when we refer to ourselves and our belief system and what we think, we often say, I'm a Christian. The word disciple, however, is used 269 times. And the three times that the word Christian is used, it refers to those who call themselves disciples. Clearly, the Bible is a book for and about the disciples. So the question begs us, are we truly disciples? Are we truly disciples or are we undiscipled disciples? In this text that we have before us today, Jesus calls four men. They are the disciples they become known as. They are known as Christ's disciples. You see, we are all going to be disciples of something. We are all disciples of something. Whether it is Jesus Christ or someone or something else, we all follow. 
That's how we are built. That's who we are. Think about growing up. Were there heroes, people that you thought just were wonderful, that you wanted to be like? Maybe it was your father or your mother, or perhaps it was someone in the community. Maybe it was a film star or a, a, a special sports star that you wanted to be like. How did you become like them? What did you start doing? Maybe you started dressing like them, or at least attempting to. Maybe you tried to comb your hair the way they did. Maybe you tried to play the sport that they played the way they played it. Maybe you started taking on some of their expressions in your speech and in your way that you uh, carried yourself. We all follow someone or something. And I believe that's because we were built, we're created to be disciples. We're created to be disciples of Christ. God created you to be like Jesus. Unfortunately, many times we fall short. We often fall short of that calling. It's interesting because there are many philosophies around the world today. One is kind of this new age philosophy. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's been around a long time. It's actually not that new. In fact, Satan was the one that kind of started it back with Adam and Eve. Ultimately, in New Age philosophy, the idea is that you will become God. You will become a God. Isn't that the lie that Satan put forth to Eve? If you eat of the apple, you will be like God. See, that's an old, old, old philosophy. And that's not the case with us. We will not become like God if we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We will not become God, but we will become godly. That is God's call in our lives, to become godly by following Jesus Christ. You see, this started with our birth. Everyone, every person has the image of God, bears the image of God in them. That's why murder is wrong. Because you're destroying the image of God as represented in that person. That's why death is so tragic. Because it's the image of God that dies in that person. We are created in God's image. And yet, at the fall, it became marred. It became corrupted. Part of it was destroyed. And the image of God is a a challenging subject, and I don't believe anyone quite exactly knows what all that means or entails. But I do believe that being part, made in the image of God means that we are made like God in that we are eternal. Your soul will live forever. You are a spiritual being. This is just kind of a, a suit you're wearing around here to let you function and live here on planet Earth. But your soul, your spirit will live forever. Just as God is spirit, we are spirit in that way. We are also relational, like God is relational. God is a relational God. He exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. They live in perfect relationship with one another. And we have been built so that we can be in relationship with others. We can receive and give love to other people, just as God does. We have also 
seeing that we are we bear God's image in other ways. We have a will. We can choose, decide for ourselves what we want to do and what we don't want to do. You see, we all bear God's image, but it's marred. It's corrupted. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the terminology for that is, is to be born again. When you are born again, your job then is to grow up. Your job is to grow up in faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that this passage with these four men was the beginning of their growing up. It was the beginning of their coming around Jesus Christ and following him and becoming like Jesus. Jesus ushers us the same challenge, the same invitation to follow him. So how do we do it? I mean, what does this thing discipleship look like? How do we become disciples of Christ? It's in our name. Is it just joining the church here? Is that how we become disciples? Christ? Well, not quite. You see, to become like Christ is the Holy Spirit's job. But we must cooperate. We must cooperate. When I was thinking about discipleship, my kids came to my mind an awful lot during this week, and I will probably talk about them numerous times in this sermon. But see, our kids' job, Sam, Bailey, David's job, is to grow up right now. This morning when I left, it was a madhouse at our home, to say the least. The kids were going crazy, just out of their minds. And I had to leave. I needed to get to the Presbyterian Church, and I like to get there early. So I'm not as frazzled as I would be if I left the chaos of our home, but also so I can visit with people and and welcome folks to church. And... My wife usually gets there a little later, and and I saw her come in. And the kids were just, for whatever reason, a little rambunctious this morning. And their job today was to grow up, to help us get them ready, to get them out of the house. You see, their job growing up is active. It's not a passive thing. I mean, in order to grow, you need to eat. You need to breathe. You need to sleep. You need love. You need to get dressed in time for church or the wrath of mother might smite your life. (laughs) It's an active thing. Eating at our home is incredibly active. When we showed up at the dinner last night, we were the loudest people here. Thanks to Davey. I mean, the kid just, ah, just yells for whatever reason. And we're loud and we're active and food flies everywhere and it's on the floor and it's on the table and very little of it actually gets into the mouth and into the stomach and and helps the growth process. But it is an active process at our home. Sleeping is an active process at our home. If you come to our house and we're not ready for you to be there and you walk into our bedroom, you will see how active sleeping is. We have Sleeping bags on each side of our bed, Marnie and I's bed, because our kids refuse to sleep in the really nice new bunk bed set that we have for them. They want us to take it back even because it's scary. 
They're scared of their room. And so they sleep in our room. Every night, Sam says, can I sleep in your room tonight? Well, Sam, if we don't let you, we won't get any sleep. So yes, again, you can sleep in our room. And then even when you watch him sleeping, it's like a helicopter. The kid's just all over the place. And this morning I woke up to this kind of whimpering sound, this crying, and he wasn't even awake. And I realized he wasn't even covered. He had his kicked off his his, uh, blanket and his sleeping bag and his pants were rolled up for some reason. He had no socks on and... And we keep our home real cold because the elders won't let us turn up the heat. At the... <laughs> I did say that over there, so don't think I'm picking on them. But it, it gets a little chilly at night, and, and so he's cold, and I, you know, put his blankets and his, his sleeping bag back on him. But sleep is active. It's not a passive thing. You see, we have to be active in our spiritual growth. We have to actively engage it so that we can cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit's job, but we sometimes don't cooperate very well. You see, it's my and Marnie's job to help our kids grow up. I mean, part of our job is to give them good food. He's Sam's four. He can't get good food. He can't even reach the freezer right now unless he's standing on something and endangering his life. Davy certainly can't get anything worth eating. Unless we get it to him. That's our job. To help put that food in front of them and and bug them. You know, up up till 11, 12 o'clock at night and guilt them about the starving children in the world so that they will stick some food in their mouth. That's our job. But they have to cooperate. I mean, we, we can't shove it in there for them. We can't stick it in an IV and make it get in their body. They have to cooperate. Ultimately, it's their choice whether they're going to eat well or not. But it's our responsibility to give them the opportunity to eat well. In the same way, the Holy Spirit gives you opportunity to eat well. And it is your job as God's children to sit at the table and eat. One of the ways that we come and eat together is Sunday mornings. If you avail yourself to church on Sunday morning, then the Holy Spirit has been working in my life, hopefully all week long, to give you something worth chewing on. And we come together and we get to participate in the Lord's Supper. And again, it's something that you partake of and you take inside of you. And you remember Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And so you have to cooperate. You need to be here at 1030 so you can be part. So you can receive the word, the bread, the food that God has for you. You also need to cooperate in your daily life. Did you know that lots of Christians say that they believe the Bible cover to cover? And yet many Christians have not read it cover to cover. Now I understand their plight. Every year with the Bible reading, I start out strong in Genesis. I mean, it's good stuff. It's really interesting. There's some fun stories in there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Fascinating stuff. But then you get into Leviticus sometime, and that's hard. 
We were learning about priestly garments and how they should be sewn together and what they should look like and what the temple of God should be like and why we shouldn't eat certain things and why we should eat other things. And that's all weird and strange and far off in the past and it makes no sense to me a lot of times. And that's where another discipline of the Christian life, of the disciples' life, comes into view. And that's study. Studying Scripture. Sometimes we have to study and we have to work hard so we understand what the Bible is telling us and what God wants us to learn from His Word. I read an article this week and it said, This culture is overrated. That was the title of the article. And it was written by a man named Will Willimon, who is the chaplain at Duke University. He's a wise man. This culture is overrated, he says. Too often pastors are trying to, 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 to preach the Word of God to this culture. And then he goes on and he says, in this century where we have seen more bloodshed than any other century, just by blood body count alone, why do we think, why would we think that the Bible is comprehensible to this culture? Why would we want it to be comprehensible to this culture? Of course the Bible is going to be confusing. Of course it's not going to make sense. Because it harkens back 2,000, 4,000 years ago in some stories to things and places and people that are difficult to pronounce and we don't understand what they are. We have to work and we have to study so that we understand what this Bible, what God's Word is telling us. It's not going to always make sense and it doesn't come easy. It's kind of like when I took chemistry in high school. There were nights that I had to study all night long. And it wasn't fun. I didn't want to study chemistry. I've forgotten a lot that I learned in chemistry, in fact. I mean, I know H2O and a couple of those things, but a lot of that stuff. And it was math, and I was bad at math. I was horrible at math. And yet I found myself in honors chemistry. I don't know how that happened, but here I am, taking honors chemistry, and I don't even know how to do math. At least not as well as other kids. I had to work hard. I wished many nights I could just place my textbook on my pillow and go to sleep. And somehow, through osmosis, which I was learning about in chemistry, it would just kind of, you know, words would just work their way into my head somehow. I just wish that would happen. Again, that happened when I was in seminary and I had to learn Greek and Hebrew. And I just wished I could just put my head on the, on the book and boom, oh, okay, Hebrew. I know it now, you know. It'd just be fantastic. But it doesn't work that way. Why on earth would the Christian life work that way? Why would we just, by osmosis, know all this stuff instantly? I mean, there's difficult, difficult doctrines, difficult concepts that are really hard and baffled the greatest minds. The Trinity. I alluded to it earlier. I mean, the greatest minds have tried to figure that one out. They haven't been able to unravel it. There are mysteries in Scripture. And we have to discipline ourselves to study it. It's interesting that spiritual disciplines are called spiritual disciplines. A discipline oftentimes is something that we have to choose to do. And we have to choose to do it often. We have to choose to do it in light of other choices that are around us and probably choices that are 
far more appealing. But did you know that if you disciplined yourself to read the Bible 15 minutes a day, you would read it from cover to cover in a year? Only 15 minutes a day to discipline yourself. If you turned off the TV for a 30-minute sitcom and read your Bible instead for 30 minutes, you'd read through the Bible in two, two times in a year. Two times, just for 30 minutes. But it takes discipline. It's much easier to find other things to spend that 30 minutes in. It's a discipline. And it's how we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Other ways that we need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We need to change how we think about stuff. We need to change how we think about things. Oftentimes, the Bible has things that are hard, difficult, once we start reading it. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. This is not how I think, God. I mean, my enemies, I curse. And people who persecute me, I persecute them back. And if somebody hits me in the face, well, they had best move. Because I'm going to hit them back. That's how I think. That's my autopilot. But it takes willpower to turn the autopilot. But ultimately, if my will stops, the autopilot's going to go back to those things. So ultimately, I need a new autopilot. I need a new way of thinking so that I don't go around hitting people who hit me and cursing those who curse me and ex- just extracting a pound of flesh from everyone that I think I need revenge upon. I need a new way of thinking. And I must cooperate with the Holy Spirit for that. You see, ultimately, becoming like Christ is a long, slow process of growth. It is a long, slow process of growth. There are no shortcuts. Sometimes we today, in this information age, we think that Christian maturity is how much we know. It's how much information we're able to cram into our head. It's how well we can talk about the Bible or doctrines or about these different things. But God doesn't measure it that way. God measures our spiritual maturity based on character. Based on character. Yes, we need to know some stuff. But we also need to act and live and be a certain way. You see, ultimately, God wants us to be people who are living out the Beatitudes of Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit and the love chapter of Paul. And the list of Peter. God wants us to be people who are like that. Every time I think of the word be attitudes. It challenges me. You see, I am not a human doing. But oftentimes I feel like it. I am a human being. And Jesus says, be these things. Not do be these attitudes. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. These aren't things you do. Actions. Okay, I'm going to go home and be more poor in spirit today. How do you do that? 
You don't do it, you be it. And ultimately, that's what God is most concerned about in this slow, long process, is who we are, that we become like Jesus Christ. From the time you were born again until the time you die, that's your time. That's your time to become like Jesus Christ. Some of us will get further down the road than others. But it's your choice. Oftentimes we think that to be a Christian is kind of the entry level model. When I went car shopping, I bought a Nissan Sentra years ago. And it was the entry level Nissan model. Nothing much to it. Four wheels, engine, stick shift. Drove around town. Two doors. When I started having children, I needed a little more deluxe model. I needed more than two doors. I needed a bigger space. Be nice if it was air conditioned so the kids aren't freaking out. Be nice to have some sound going on so that the kids won't drive us nuts when we drive from Ray to Denver. Be really great to have, like, you know, those TVs that come down from the ceiling. That's super deluxe. And oftentimes in the Christian life, we think Christians are the Nissan Sentra model. And I'm okay if I'm a Nissan Sentra model. And we think to be a disciple, that's kind of like the Dodge Caravan or whatever, you know, the big, huge, nice model with all the the trim and everything. But the reality is there is no entry-level model in the kingdom of God. There is no Nissan Sentra. There are only full-blown disciples or not. That's it. Period. End of discussion. That's all there is. It is not optional. We must be disciples of Jesus Christ. We must follow Him. Ultimately, God wants you and me to grow up. He wants us to grow up. Spiritual growth is not automatic. Growth is not automatic. You see, ultimately, you must want to grow. You must decide to grow. You must make an effort to grow. You must persist in growing. See, this is the fourth purpose of God's church. To make disciples. To make disciples. That's why the church is here. To assist people. To help people want to grow. It's kind of my job as a pastor, as a preacher. It's my opportunity once a week to yell at people and say, grow, grow, grow. It's your opportunity. But ultimately, it's your choice. I can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. It's kind of like my children. Sometimes I feel like I'm eating for them as well. Because last night at the soup dinner, I polished off a couple of sandwiches that weren't mine. But when we go home, I can't, you know, help them get that sandwich unless I make a new one for them. That's my sandwich now. I chose to grow through that sandwich, not them. (laughs) See, they can't grow through what I do. They can't grow through what I do. They have to make the choice. The same is true of all of us. We must choose to follow Christ for ourselves. Ultimately, I believe that to grow up means we quit thinking about ourselves so much and we think about others. 
Little Davy is a great kid, but he only thinks about himself. Dave, Sammy is a great kid, but he only thinks about himself. Bailey is a great girl, but she only thinks about herself. And if they only think about themselves when they're 16, 17, 18 years old, people aren't going to think much of me. People aren't going to think much of them. At some point, they need to start thinking about other people. And that is a sign of maturity and growth. And Jesus calls us to the same. Think about others. Think about others. That is the mark of a true disciple. That is the mark of a true mature disciple. Well, finally, if I can find my little quote, Dallas Willard, who I mentioned earlier, says this. If we intend to become like Christ, that will be obvious to every thoughtful person around us as well as to ourselves. And when I read that, I felt challenged. What does that mean? Would my life look different to you if I put all my energy and my time into becoming like Christ? Would I look different to people around me? Would you look different to people around you if you put all your energy, all your resources into becoming like Christ? What kind of reaction would you get from those around you? What kind of reaction would you get? You see, if the church is full of undiscipled disciples, then maybe we look a little too much like our neighbors next door. Maybe we aren't making that countercultural choice to get up, to leave our lifestyle behind us and follow Christ. I'm amazed at what those four men did. Jesus said, follow me. And they got up and followed him. I mean, sometimes I want Jesus to give me a little more hint of where I'm going. But they did it. And they're an example to us all. So follow Christ. Follow Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity, this invitation that you extend to us. Lord, we're not always good at accepting it. We don't always do a good job of following you. And Lord, we pray that, Holy Spirit, you would convict us of areas we need to change, of areas we need to repent in and follow you more closely. Lord, I just pray that you would help all of us to become more like you. And I pray that as we do that, people would notice there would be something different about us and others would want to experience that for themselves. Amen.